What's up and how are you? This is Sean Nevels, your host for the Shape America podcast. And this is our EDI segment series one on the topic of what is social justice. And I bring from the free state of Maryland, Dr. Troy Body. Dr. Body is a recently retired uh, director of equity initiatives uh, at the Montgomery County Public Schools, and I know we've had a couple other uh, hosts on from there, so we're glad to have another perspective coming out of <laughs> the Maryland area. So, Dr. Body, real quick, tell us, uh, tell the audience, tell the listeners who you are and your journey basically through uh, educational equity. All right. Well, it is so good to be um, here with uh, Shape Ed today, and just a little bit about my journey. It's, it's been a 30 uh, actually a wonderful 30 years. It, it hadn't been easy, but it's been a good ride. And um, all started with me being a first grade teacher, uh, started in 92 um, and, and worked at a real innovative school where I taught kindergarten through third grade eventually. So it was a concept of the one room schoolhouse. And so that really is, and it was in a, a, a community that was mostly uh, students from the Caribbean, Africa and uh, Central America. So that really got my eyes to begin opening about other people's culture and cultures and how they walk through the world a little bit differently and made me reflect on myself and what I brought in from a middle-class African-American perspective. So, you know, from there, I was a specialist in central office uh, during professional development, an assistant principal, eventually a principal for five years at an elementary school. And then most recently, um, for the last 11 years, the director of equity initiatives for Montgomery County Public School System, um, you know, where I was responsible for looking at policies, practices, and um, teaching and learning through the lens of equity and helping other people to view the work through that lens. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so let, to, to kind of start off our conversation and our topic here, let's, and this kind of goes back to our pre-recording and everything, but let's start this conversation with uh, the George Floyd incident, which basically for a lot of people kicked off kind of the, the surface work of equity in their organizations and their schools. So start me there and kind of where you were at during that time. So I am not going to lie. This work is heavy. Um, so being a teacher or educator is heavy in general. There's a lot that's asked of us it is not easy as it looks like on you know tv and movies and and this work is really heavy so i used to always tell new staff members when they came on the team get yourself a hobby exercise because this work can then consume you because you start to see all these things that you'd never noticed before racism is you know is kind of everywhere and so so in leading this work and being a person of color and, you know, um, you know, uh, African-American male, George Floyd hit me hard and it hit me. I, I just remember that day and I, I had my TV on and I saw a black man being lynched basically in front of the world on my TV, just as many people did, which then, you know, is why there was this great 
awakening to things that people have not necessarily noticed around them. And so I'm watching this, trying to process what is going on? What am I seeing? I couldn't watch the whole thing. I, I just felt some kind of way. Then my phone started blowing up. My phone was ringing. It was buzzing. It was vibrating. It was smoking. There was just so many messages coming through because again, as a director of equity, people look at um, people in my position or in any leadership position. And when I say leader, it's not necessarily you don't have to have a formal title of being a leader. I think we all are in whatever um, sphere of influence that we have. So I, I, I see we all, I say we all are leaders. In this case though, everybody was like, what are we gonna say? What messages are we gonna send out? What are we gonna do to support principals and having these conversations talking about this with their staff and all these questions and I'm still trying to process what I saw. And so for two weeks, you know, of course, you know, you get called to action, you put things in place, we organized, um, we con collaborated with another office, the restorative justice office, created a space for administ administrators, because we were still on Zoom at that time, um, or I mean, working remotely. And so we created spaces uh, for uh, folks to drop in, leaders to drop in throughout the day and kind of came up with a process that they could then use with their staff to have conversations. And so this just went on and um, on and, you know, we reaffirmed our commitment to the work. And it wasn't until two weeks later that I just broke down because I finally had, you know, put the, enough things in place. We had put enough things in place so that everybody else was all right but I wasn't because I hadn't had time to process what I saw for myself. And like to this day, I still have, I've only watched a small portion of that video because I can't sit through it. Um, it just brings up so many things. Um, one of them being um, my grandfather was killed by a white drunk driver, um, leaving my father to have to take care of, of his, his mother and his uh, three sisters. You know, and so hearing those stories and then seeing those images, it's just a lot to process. And so I, I say this work is heavy because I had to carry that as a person of color, seeing this deep injustice go on as an African-American male, because that could have been me, my cousin, my brother, you know, any, a friend, somebody I didn't know, <laughs> like George Floyd. Um, and so it does take a mental and emotional toll. So just, just a tip to anybody who engages in this work, no matter how large or small, you gotta, you know, you have to be able to walk away from it and give yourself space and, and, and give yourself permission almost not to think about it because you need that um, to stay um, socially, emotionally well. And now one thing you said once you first saw that and your phone started blowing up is that you had to have a call to action. And for, once again, you know, for a lot of organizations, you know, businesses, school systems, districts, and things like that, once they saw that video, which by the way, I saw all eight minutes, you know, eight minutes, 46 seconds. And I, you right, I'll never do it again because it is very mm -hmm. traumatic for anybody to, to see that, to witness that. But 
you know, you said that, you know, you had to have a call to action. And one of the things a lot of that people did make, you know, create statements, did a lot of this surface work. But, you know, one thing you kind of hint to is a lot of that is superficial. So, you know, starting from there, where do we all go from right. there? So that emotional response to seeing that level of humanity in your face, because a lot of times we can pretend like these things don't happen. Uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about, she uses the imagery of a, the moving sidewalk, how we're, pretend you're at the airport and you're on a moving sidewalk trying to get to your gate to get to your plane. And so many of us just go along. We let the, the, uh, the si uh, moving sidewalk push us forward. We just go, we don't think about it. So that's kind of passive racism. So it's happening around us. Like I said, your eyes, the more you do this work, the more your eyes open up to all these different things that go on around you and you make these new connections. But many of us just are on this moving sidewalk. Now there are some of us who are pushing past people because they feel that they have to get to their gate before everybody else or they're late or whatever their reason is. That's an active racist. And so I'm walking faster than the, um, than the moving sidewalk to move past um, folks to, to get in front of them. She then goes on to describe that it's not until we turn around and go in the reverse direction and start interrupting these patterns um, and helping people to see what's going on around them that we become anti-racist. And so a lot of the work that was a result of, you know, all these com uh, companies, like you said, have these mission statements, we're committed to anti-racism, we're going to, I believe one of the only companies who followed through, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that followed through on their commitment to, um, to do something to su be supportive of the uh, African-American community was Netflix. They said they were gonna um, invest in, in um, uh, black institutions. And so they invested money into black banks. And I believe they also committed to having um, more diverse, uh, you know, entertainment uh, shows, movies, um, and bringing on more diverse uh, producers and directors and actors and actresses. So they're one of the only companies to kind of follow through of what they said they were going to do. School systems do that all the time. You know, every school system, I'm sure yours did, sent out maybe, uh, sent out a message talking about their commitment to creating a safe space for all students and, the, you know, that racism will not be tolerated. That's great. But that is just like, you know, we think about a couple of years ago when they were removing all those statues around the country from the Confederacy. Okay, that's, I don't want to necessarily have to walk by this person who's, uh, who has a statue to them that tried to oppress people that look like me um, every day. But by removing it, have you changed the laws? Have you changed policies and practices that will actually impact my life and improve conditions for, for people who have been oppressed for far too long? Because if you haven't done that, taking down the statue is a symbolic gesture. But really, at the end of the day, I want some laws, I want some policies, I want some practices to change so that there's lasting change. 
that's only here for a moment. So those statements that everybody made, including school systems, were superficial unless they really did the deep work of looking at, so what is the experience of people of color and other marginalized people in our school system, in our schools, in our classrooms? What are those experiences? And what do we do to make sure that we level the playing field so that all of our kids, all of our families, staff included too, have an experience that produces equitable um, outcomes, whether it be achievement, advancement, if we're talking about employees, engagement, if we're talking about families, are we really doing that work? Because that gets down to the deeper levels of um, social justice. And then we got to hold up the mirror and look in it, where are those beliefs coming from? Because all these rules and laws and practices, policies, procedures come from a place. So is it from a place that we see people of color being deficit and white people um, being held up, um, being superior? Or are they really rules that benefit everyone? Right. And that goes, and I want to, you know, I want to say that you actually with, you know, part of our group with the EDI committee did a a presentation with Shape Maryland, and you're kind of getting to that right now, and that's the cultural frames of reference, right? And there's three mm -hmm. different levels to that. Can you tell tell our audience about about those those frames of reference? So, we have a surface level, again, where we just visually, I make an assessment of you. So you're a black male. Da, da, da. I'm going to attach whatever meaning I have, what that, what, whatever that means to me, I'm going to attach that to you. How you dress, how you wear your hair, um, how you speak. So it's those observable things. Kind of like, um, we, just, just kind of like, a, yeah. like, you know, dress code policies that people. Right. Kinda, okay. Right. Right. And who do they impact more? <laughs> what who uh what which groups because dress codes impact certain groups of kids more than others um and genders because you know girls there's just a whole laundry list mm -hmm. <laughs> of it of, of of ways in which they can violate the um dress code and as compared to boys and then we throw race in it you know and there's certain 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 ways in which different groups you know show up right and, and that becomes too an issue yeah, and then to class, I think about it as, you know, as, as far as physical education goes is, you know, I used to be tight about my dress code policy, but there were kids, you know, that didn't, you know, whose families didn't have the money to get them the outfit to be, you know, the, the clothes right. to be active in the space and in the class and everything. So I kind of right. had to really evaluate that. And I was like, do I really take points away from a kid who doesn't have tennis shoes? Are right. they still do, you know, are they still doing what's asked of them for the day? Are they reaching these standards and all that? So yeah, I just want to throw right. that in there. Go ahead. And that's the work we have to do at, at the at the individual level. So you know, I, I I'm I'm talking from system to down to classroom. So that's the individual work. So reflecting on your space and what you have control over, you have control over that. And you, in your case, in your example, you took control over that in your space. Because really, what kind of I don't care what kind of shoes you have on, as long as you're not going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. Or and 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 I can as an you know, an educated person, I can adapt whatever the thing is so that you can engage at some level <laughs> um, 
and and get get you know and demonstrate your understanding because at the end of the day, isn't that what teaching and learning is about? Not necessarily what you wear. I mean, there is a safety factor, so I'm not saying not to to ignore that. But if you can accommodate and adapt, or give another opportunity, okay, so you didn't have you do. This is not safe for you to do this today, but we, uh, next time I see you, I'm gonna give you opportunity to make this up. Now I'm being responsive. So then when we talk about those lenses, the next level down is shallow. And that's kind of how we interact. And so um, just referencing um, Beverly Daniel Tatum's book again, um, she has a book called Why Do All the Kids, Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria? Great book. Um, and we used to joke when I was a principal because <laughs> all the black principals would sit together at the table, <laughs> um, you know, at some tables or and 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 or principals of color, and it, you know, people would probably you know, and oftentimes people would look, but we interact in certain ways, and we don't get to see each other every day. There's not enough of us, so when we get in spaces where we can be together and interact and and just put it out there the way we put it out. We take, we seize upon that moment. And so the second level is, and some people can be intimidated by that, but the real meaning is not that we're not trying to, you know, not trying to uh, associate with other people, is that we don't get a chance to associate together professionally because they're not as many of us. <laughs> and so those interactions and understanding that becomes, um, it's helping people grow their understanding of deeper culture. You know, kids that's, um, you know, I'm sure you have, we have a huge, um, you know, um, English language of student population who's, um, who's learning English. Um, English isn't their first language. And so I just remember as a teacher, some of my colleagues, like, you can't speak Spanish to, you know, they would like, um, you know, yell at the kids for speaking Spanish or speaking their indigenous language to one another in a way to support a, a, a student who was new to the country. And it used to just blow my mind. It's like, what does it matter? You know, the student is trying to help the other student understand what, they, what you're asking them to do. And so again, those, that surface level uh, understanding, I mean, shallow level understanding those interactions. And then we have the deep beliefs. Deep culture is where we talk about this, where our beliefs come from, like about religion, about um, how we are supposed to be in the world, uh, gender norms, um, all those different things come from um, deep culture. And so even though we typically start at the surface, it's really like, I always like, think we probably should start at deep culture because that really builds upon what you your deep culture is builds upon um you know, influences how you interact and then how you see other people so those are like our deep-seated beliefs and the root of equity or inequities in our society you know, I might, I might share it. I'm sitting here looking at the presentation that you all did for Shape Maryland. I think it was July 9th is kind of the date here, but some of the things, you know, kind of at that deep, that mm -hmm. deep root level that I'm seeing, you know, is cooperation, decision-making, yep. connection with nature, yep. a concept of a high power and spirituality, definition of family, fairness, notions of fairness, kind of some of those ideas and, you know, mm -hmm. big ideas around 
um, <clears throat> that deep level you're talking about. And child rearing is a big one too, because that really impacts, you think about like education, you know, and, and teacher lounge talk, <laughs> how we talk about how other people rear their kids, you know, and so, and usually in a derogatory way, um, and usually in a racialized way. Mm -hmm. The language may not be always racialized because we like to nice it up. But when we when we really dig down to who we talking about, whose mama we talking about, or whose daddies we were talking about, um, and the assumptions we make, that is really, you know, and we talk about discipline and we talk about the expectation that parents have to sit with their child for five hours to do this meaningless homework we give them um, and those kind of things, um, you know, and we make judgments about that. And we make then judgments about the family. We make judgments about the child. And then that becomes the way we interact. So we don't have the expectation. They're not going to do that. Their parents are going to take the time or their mom's not going to take the time or their dad is not going to come up in here and or sit at the table and help them with this. I, my expectations are gone. And then we go to the surface level. So any kid that looks like that or I perceive that comes from that same space, I'm going to have the same expectations. And that's how it all plays out um, in our spaces. So whether we're talking about our classroom, we can talk about our school or we can talk about our school district or larger society. That's kind of how these things interplay and why we have to really interrupt ourselves, you know, so that like the idea of critical reflection, which is because this work is inside out, it starts with you. <laughs> um, and so understanding who you are and how you show up and how you develop those deep beliefs, that worldview that you bring to your classroom because we, that's what we bring. We, I bring myself to the classroom. So whatever, for better or for worse, um, that's what I bring to my space. And that's how I teach. And that's how I interact with kids. And that's how I develop my expectations. And so that's continuous work we always have to be doing to grow ourselves so that we can interact better with people who have different experiences. That's good stuff. So one more thing I want to, one more part of this I want to bring up because, you know, mm -hmm. we talked about it once again, and that was because we're dealing with just a lot of teacher strain in general, right? And our teachers, once again, I will always say are our frontline workers for, yes. for these students. And, you know, more so, even more than, you know, August 2020 coming into July, you know, August 2021 and having to come back from all of this, you know, this, you know, this, these images we're seeing of social justice and on top of the pandemic and everything else, and we're back and now we're dealing with this strain, just this teacher strain. Kind of, you know, let's end the conversation, Dr. Body, with you talking a little bit uh -huh. about that, because you've even shared your own, you know, you shared your own story about it mm -hmm. and gave some, you know, hints to what teachers can do for themselves, but, you know, kind of go into that for us real quick. So... There's just so, and, and one of the things um, that I was looking at an article that some of our student members of the board, of our board of education wrote for a local magazine. Um, and just the comments, and at, which I typically don't read. I don't read the comments because people just, people just say whatever they want, doesn't have to be factual. And that's kind of the world and space we live in. Everybody's an expert. Um, 
So one thing, don't read the comments, <laughs> but it was really, um, you know, it, it, what alarms me is the level at which, so there are a lot of people who appreciate what educators do. A lot of people and, and, and being in that space of COVID, people had even a greater appreciation for how educators showed up for their kids. Um, but then there, there's another side and, and, and it's the same people that um, existed before who you can never do anything right. Everything has to be the way they see it. So one of the things is you just have to really know that you're creating the conditions for your kids to thrive and understand that everybody's just not going to agree with you and, and be all right with that. I think as teachers, I, I remember, you know, being in the classroom and that's, and that's one of the things I've never forgotten, no matter how far up the ladder I've gone, I never forgot what it was like to be in that classroom with my 30 kids. Um, and so even though I might have to deliver messages that I know folks are gonna go and curse me out um, and, 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 and question and those kind of things, I try to remember how I would have wanted to hear it. And so that's the way I try to deliver it. And so I just say, um, if you are doing the work, cause teaching again, like I said, is a heavy, heavy lift. Um, that you're creating a space where your kids are really enjoying learning, can show up in the skin they're in or from, from whatever zip code <laughs> they come to you, um, that you are instilling that wonder, um, that enthusiasm to do the work, whatever that is, um, you know, then know you are making a difference. It, the, the challenge, the other challenge with education is you don't know, and this is like cliche, you don't know the impact you have until years later. Um, I recently connected with one of my favorite kids and she is doing well, she's in New York. She was always a little shy, quiet um, young lady and just out of the blue on Facebook, she, she you know, sent a friend request. And she just had, you know, she has a little one-year-old, she's doing well. And she talked about things that I did in the classroom that she still remembers. She's like a mid thirties now. And it's crazy. I was like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> you know, the influence that we have, and that's what we have to remember is like, um, you are making a difference. Not everybody's gonna see it, appreciate it. Um, and you, again, you gotta be all right with that as long as you know, know you're doing the right thing um, and really, um, you know, just creating that space where um, kids have access and opportunities. And sometimes it's hard to, um, to, to, to see beyond what's in front of you today. But that's the, that's the, the magic of teaching. You gotta look beyond what's in front of you this second and say, hey, that could be the next president. That could be the uh, next engineer. That could be the so next social justice leader. Um, and so that that's what I will give. It's that 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 hopefulness, that that belief that you can make a difference. And not everybody's going to see it right away or right now. 
Um, and we have to be all right with that sometimes. Beautiful. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dr. Troy Body. Um, I know you're a part of the Bond Project with uh, uh, Dr. Howard and uh, Dr. Katie Smith we had on. Is there anything, any, your social media, anything you want to share that you got going on as a retiree before I let you go? Well, I'm starting my own little um, company, the East Coast Racial Equity Group. Um, still building it out, but um, taking all that I've learned over the years and using it to help other people kind of engage in this work um, and, and help, you know, guide them and, and set the stage so that they can be successful and learn from my mistakes, our successes. <laughs> um, and, um, and so that's in the work. So just kind of be on the lookout for that. And, um, you know, just a couple other little projects um, that we have going on. So it's a fun time to be able to kind of do the work in a way in which, um, you know, I can kind of go places that I want to go. Hey, that, that means you ain't really retired. Then. You out there still, uh -huh. <laughs> still doing the work even as a retiree. So thank you, Dr. Troy Body, for being on. We'll actually share a little part that you shared with us with the East Coast Racial Equity Group, also that Shape Maryland presentation. And then you also threw a book recommendation in there. I caught it. So we're going to make sure we pop that on for our listeners. All right. Out a lot of resources and tools. Thank you, Dr. Troy Body. And as he stated, for those listening, please, as you do this work, take care.